Hello and welcome to episode five of FASD What's the Crack with me, Scott, and uh, my, my, my co-host today is... Robert, hello, how are you? Robert, that sounded very, that's your son. I know, yeah, Rob, 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 I've gotten into introducing myself as Robert. Oh, have you? Oh, yeah. I'm surprised you sound, still sound Irish, actually, after uh, yeah, a Yeah, there are a few people who have uh, been asking me, where's my accent? Oh, really? Yeah, I've gotten very used to talking uh, slowly, I think. <laughs> I'm like making, I'm talking very, very slowly and more pronounced yeah. so, that the, so that they can understand me a little yeah. bit easier. So things are all right in Croatia anyway, Rob, yeah? Yeah, things are all good. Yeah. yeah. Still enjoying it? I am. I am enjoying it. Uh, a few exams and presentations and bits coming up soon now, coming to Christmas, so... Yeah. Have to knuckle down at them. Yeah, see, I didn't realise that like people did exams before Christmas when they do, like in kind of further up education because like Jacob's doing his leaving cell this year, so he's got exams at the minute. And then mm. he went to the open day at uh, Galway for next year for university, and they were saying about you know we had to look at the kind of timetable for the year, and there's exams like there just seems to be exams all the time. Yeah, um, it's a lot of. It- it's a lot of continuous assessment in college and right. universities. Sorry, but um, I think Ireland tends to do it a, a bit more than here. Here it just seems to be two kind of blocks of exams in a semester, like kind of midterms, more right. so like secondary school yeah. midterms. And then they do exams after Christmas here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in Ireland, normally January is like a midterm break. So there's no yeah. exams really after. Yeah, sure. um, Christmas. Yeah. It's more of a, a holiday or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm you're still enjoying it. Yeah, and um, you have an old November tan, which is <laughs> rare for somebody living in Irish in, in Ireland. You're right. <laughs> a November tan. I love that. I'm going to refer to it as from yeah. I just um had a a bit of a break there. Um, and I mean, unfortunately, you know, we um. Well, I say unfortunately. There's no unfortunate about it. We took a couple of weeks out because, um, well, you know yourself how busy it's been this year. Mm. Um, and then obviously when you left, we had to pick up your work. <laughs> you make me feel bad. <laughs> you have a very interesting uh, interview for us today that you, you did. I know, yeah. Well, I mean, it kind of came out of the blue a little bit. Um, so, um, yeah, so Rob's mentioned in the interview that we've got coming up so we've got an interview mm. with um, uh, a gentleman called frank who's from donegal um and i basically put a call out for um foster carers um who had because we we are finding a lot of foster carers are dealing with fasd lot like mm. you know we did um our last introduction oh no we did uh, tell you what it was we did um an introduction to nvr which is non-violent resistance training um um Al, one of my friends who edits this podcast for us, he um he's a NVR practitioner, and it was all foster carers who came along, and there was I think there was seven, um, because normally we do it in a small so sorry normally he would do it in a small group of six, but we we ended up selling um seven places anyway. Long story short, lots of foster carers on that, and it was really like eye opening for me just how many foster carers are actually dealing with um young people and children with FASD. Um, and 
sadly, there's just nothing around for them. So I put a call out um, to one of the people who had attended actually and asked her if she would like to come on the, the, the podcast, but she wasn't too keen because <laughs> she's, okay. she's not really a public speaker. But anyway, she, she found Frank for me. Um, Frank is a foster carer. His foster children don't have FASD, but he adopted prior to that. And um, one of his kids had FASD. Well, yeah, one of his kids had a diagnosis of FASD. Um, so he was really keen to come on and, and share his story from a perspective of being a, a parent. Um, I mean, there's there's loads of stuff that like, it was a really interesting chat. And I think that anybody who's listening and has got this far do wait on the interview coming up because it is quite insightful. Yeah. It's also quite impactful. Well, we both listened to it. Well, I interviewed you, <clears> you listened to it since. And, you know, there was there was lots of things in there that for somebody who has a child with FASD, like really struck a chord for me, you know. There was, yeah, relatable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, even just from from knowing you and stuff and the stories you've told us, like the similarities were quite striking and like you'd hide you'd you'd I I don't wanna I don't wanna paint anything with the one brush or something, paint yeah. everyone with one brush, but it is quite like a typical story of what can happen really isn't it absolutely and it's interesting it talks you you ask some pretty good questions to be honest and you get talking about the supports and how things could be different mm. um and it's 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 just nice to see somebody somebody else's opinion other than ourselves on on what could be done yeah absolutely um yeah because he had and, a different kind of view on that didn't he i thought um because I thought having lived with it, he would be, he would have a, like a list of stuff that he'd want to change. But actually, what he said, and without giving too much away, what he said he'd like to see changed is just more information out there about it. Yeah, um, you know, awareness um, so, really, isn't that, it? Yeah, exactly. So um, education, this, really. yeah, yeah, yeah. More education, more awareness. Mm. Um, something we obviously are always trying to do. Even well, absolutely, that's yeah. kind of the purpose of this podcast, isn't it? <laughs> well that have a bit of a laugh yeah exactly and a bit of a laugh yeah exactly yeah but yeah so um it was a really interesting um chat and um he's um he has offered to stay involved in FASD Ireland as well which I thought was really kind of him because you know finding people who want to share their story in that way um is a really kind of key part of people being able to understand that they're not alone but secondly you know decision makers need to listen you know, um, yeah. because this is somebody's who's had this experience, and you know, Frank and his wife spent a lot of money and a lot of time supporting their son um, yeah. out of their own pocket, and you know, it's it's definitely you know something that we need to see change on. So, yeah, yeah, and cool. so we'll play that in a minute. Um, was there anything that stood that stood out for you specifically? From when I was talking without giving too much away, obviously there's no point in us talking about the whole interview because then you know, people wouldn't. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, it was. It was just well, this this his his story it, itself is well, it would stand out to anyone really. It is. It's definitely worth to listen. Mm. Um, and then his his views on it from it seems like really proactive guy like you know really chased after it once figured out what's happening and yeah. then for him to kind of I suppose be let down by the lack of awareness and stuff is yeah. something that did strike strike me 
Yeah. Um, I don't want. I don't want to. I know it's really hard for me. I don't want to give. Too, I'm, I'm picking my uh, picking my <laughs> words um, carefully here because yeah. I don't want to give anything away. But no, it's it's yeah, it's Absolutely. definitely worth the yeah. worth the. This well, thing. I think um, just to publicly say thank you to Frank for sharing his story because I think that you know it, I I I know that there was the first time he's kind of publicly been um interviewed about it and you know i know that he wanted to do it but um yeah i just think thank you for doing that frank because um you know yeah, we do thanks appreciate, frank. yeah definitely yeah, we do, do appreciate your input so we'll play that in a minute but our penultimate this is our penultimate episode for the first mm -hmm. series of the podcast um and i think it's been quite varied um so next month so december's podcast which is going to be a christmasy kind of thing so uh, <laughs> no it's not dressing really. up as santa claus <laughs> no we'll get somebody else to do that uh, <laughs> so um next month we're going to do it a bit different we're going to have a reflection on the year that we've just had so we're going to reflect on 2023 um and, and what a year it's been and what a year it has been yeah yeah i'm hoping yeah. that we might be able to make an announcement in that podcast about about something but i can't say too much at the minute so we'll see what happens but so next month hopefully hopefully fingers crossed if we can all be available it'll be myself it'll be you it'll be maggie and we're going to have uh tris on so for those of you that don't know tris is our ceo um the boss, he's the boss um and uh he hasn't been on the podcast because he wanted us to to crack on with it but i think it's important that we get him on to hear his voice um yeah. and i think we need to kind of almost interview him a little bit about fasd I was thinking that, yeah. um yeah but i also want us to reflect on on the year that we've had working at fasd ireland and you know i know that you left us in july but you still <laughs> you <laughs> no, I, don't think. I mean you left us you left as, us as, as I, an employee folks in july. i was i was i was going back to my education is what i was doing <laughs> yeah and before we started recording you asked me for a job next summer so just mind yourself <laughs> um but no in all seriousness like you were there for seven months and seven months of the year that's that's a good chunk of time um and you know a lot has happened we did a lot of stuff in that seven months as well so you know yeah for sure next month we'll be able to um have a have a think about and some reflections on on that and um yeah it should be we should have a laugh and um uh, i mean a laugh during the episode because it'll be yeah. hopefully four of us That's always a laugh when the four of us are absolutely yes so yeah, but i think for now what, what we'll do is we'll just um go on to frank's um interview and um we will not come back in the end um we'll just let that fade out so have a good month rob yeah. Yeah, you too, Scott. And, and uh, thanks again to Frank for sharing the story. It's, yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Sure. So um, today I am joined by um, a new contact of mine who has come from, um, well, I, would, I wouldn't even like to say how, how I found you, Frank, but I found you anywhere. So um, thank you for coming on today. Um, do you want to just give us a quick introduction to yourself and, uh, and then we'll, we'll get on with our little interview? Not a bother, Scott. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I suppose Scott says my name is Frank. I'm a foster carer. I'm based in Donegal. And uh, I'm also a father of, well, three children, two which I adopted. And uh, we have another girl that came along as well. They're all, they're all grown up and one of them is no longer with us, Paul. And uh, I suppose I came on to talk a bit about FASD or 
maybe to give a better public awareness of FESD. Mm. Uh, I was I was born in Glasgow, of Donegal parents. Came came home to live in in, in Donegal, but spent a lot of years living outside of the country as well. So, so you're a fellow Scot. So that's good to that's good to know already. <laughs> no, I, I always say when someone tells me fellow Scot, I say I'm, I'm only Scottish through circumstance. <laughs> my my passport is clearly Irish. So. Fair, fair, absolutely fair. You can tell there's a little bit of a Scottish twang there sometimes when I'm talking to you. It's maybe because I'm talking to you. I don't know. Um, well, you're very welcome to come along uh, to, to to be here, Frank. I really appreciate you giving up your time first of all, and and secondly, you know. The, the story that part of it you've told me already but you know it's certainly it's, it is an interesting story you've got so two adopted children and and a, a birth child um and i guess as a fellow adoptive parent i'm very interested to know about uh, first of all when did you find out about fasd like you know was it something that you knew about early on or you know when 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 did you become aware of this condition called fetal alcohol syndrome or fetal alcohol spectrum disorders as we call them now well we it's a word i'd never heard of or a condition i'd never heard of we adopted the two children at one and a half and two and a half mm. through the catholic children's society in the uk and uh, when the kids became school age we came home to live in to live in ireland mm. it was just a, a lifestyle change that we wanted to make we wanted our kids brought up in ireland uh, the kids we always worked our kids through school. We done a lot of extra work with them. The kids seemed to cope at school in terms of, with no matter how much extra work we'd done with them, we could never get them over the average or slightly above average. And it, it did worry us at times because we, we knew we were putting extra into them. And they survived primary school pretty pretty much okay. Mm. Uh, Paul would have been very competitive, uh, didn't like getting beat at anything, didn't, just a trait they had, and went to secondary school, and Marie went on and had a successful career for herself. She went to college, she had a child very young, who we looked after when she went back to college, myself mm -hmm. and my wife looked after her grandson, and Paul... Paul at secondary school, I don't think they could, they, at primary school, they coped quite easily with the, not easily, but with a bit of work, coped with the, the basic subjects. When they went to secondary school, I think it was overpowering. Mm. And it was probably the end that we knew there was something wrong with he. Paul went from being lovely lad to being totally disruptive in school. Right. And it was only in the latter years we learned that it was a coping mechanism for him, and he spoke about it too is at different times. It was his only way of coping and getting through school. He became disruptive in class, mm. and he was known for being disruptive in class. But when he left school, he was he was a hard worker. He had two or three little side jobs, and he when he left school, he went to he done a he done a. He'd done a, a trades course, which he decided after doing it, he didn't want to be that trade. And, uh, but he, he ended up getting into alcohol and drugs, which would have been alien. I'm not saying, I'm not saying alcohol's alien, but I mean, yeah. it's, and the way he was doing it was, was alien to us. Mm. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, 
we ended up, Paul ended up going, Paul ended up involved in criminality, which once again would have been alien to our family. And uh, he ended up going to a drug and alcohol counsel, counselor who recommended that Paul, he like, that's the first time I ever heard of FASD, I suppose, from his, out of, out of that guy's mouth when he told yeah. us it. And he recommended us to go and speak to, at the time he would have been, he's actually world renowned, I suppose, in my read. I've done a bit of reading up on him. And yeah. He was, he was a fellow called Dr. Keir Nomali. Kieran would have been based in Belfast originally, and then he had a, he'd one on the Charlie Monk Clinic in around Dublin. So we we spent we spent the best part of two years up and down to Belfast and Dublin, trying to get Paul di- not even diagnosed because he diagnosed him very quickly. But it was about trying to give Paul the, the Kieran was teaching Paul's the skills to to learn to cope with with his condition yeah. but Paul was going through a court case at the time and we made it clear to Paul that we were not doing it for because we believe that for what Paul done wrong Paul should have served Paul should have served some time for what he done yeah. uh, Paul got off in the courts and uh, just dropped Keanu O'Malley the minute he got off in the court so that kind of finished us with, if Paul didn't want to do it for himself, mm. we were enabling Paul really by, by running them everywhere and doing it. He had to want to do it himself and he didn't want to do it himself. So Paul ended up leading a life that of drugs and alcohol and then he would work and he'd, he'd earn good money for a spell and then he'd become a, a, a fortnight millionaire for for a time and live like a king and mm. then go back into the life that wasn't well it wasn't for us I know so yeah. we had to we sort of well we, we told Paul he, he couldn't live in the house anymore that yeah. it was I mean there had to be some rules ground rules for him and he wasn't prepared to <laughs> to accept the ground rules in the house so we just felt we were enabling them all the time, and mm. we had to do. We had to cut out of that. Now we were always there for them. We were still lit. We were he'd come home at Christmas. He'd come home at different times of the year, but he'd only be home a couple of days and fall out again. And mm. Paul would move on. And Paul went to live in the UK, and Paul just couldn't cope with life. And uh, I suppose it's four years ago now. Paul ended up taking his own life. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, you know, I, I just, I just don't think Paul could cope with. Paul couldn't cope with being adopted. Paul couldn't cope with that. He just couldn't control his own life. And and as time moves on, I put a lot of that down to just down to fetal alcohol syndrome. The a lot, a lot of symptoms of of stuff that, that Paul had like Paul never had for example any of the pygmy like features of mm. he was six foot two big handsome strapping boy that 
with, with words in Scotland, I'm not even going to use them on a podcast. <laughs> I mean, he's no problem attracting females, let's put it that way. <laughs> and, uh, but he, he's, he lacked self-esteem. He seriously mm-hmm. lacked self-esteem. He, he felt worthless a lot of the time. And funny, he always used to say, to myself, my wife, you just don't stop nagging me, you just don't stop nagging me. We say, Paul, we're not nagging me, we're trying to keep you right. Yeah. And funnily, maybe two or three nights before he took his own life, he phoned home and he said to his mum, he said, uh, Mum, he said, just want to let you know, he says that uh, I understand now more what you mean when you say, when I used to say you were nagging me, he says, I know you weren't nagging me, it was for the you were doing it for the right reasons. Mm. So that's that's a basic introduction. Yeah. That's how we first first mm. heard of FASD. Yeah, and I have to say, I mean, it's quite the story, I think, because it's you know the there the, I guess in some ways there there was an end to it for him um, in terms of you know he made a decision and you know as I was saying to you beforehand, you know I personal experience of, of someone taking their own life within my family as well and it's 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 never something that's easy for those that are left behind to deal with um and you know there's no way in this world it should happen but i think that you know somebody who decides to do that they do it for a reason and you know sometimes we will never know the reason i think that you know um as we were talking about beforehand as well you know we know now well we know that you know young people tend well so, Traditionally or historically, young people with FASD do tend to make that, or a, a number, there's statistics that say how many, you know, have decided to do that for themselves and, and, you know, take their own lives. And I think that's just something that people need to be aware of, you know. Um, I've never spoken to somebody who has parented someone with FASD whose child has gone on to take their own life. So I appreciate you sharing that very much. And I'm sure the listeners do as well. Um, and, you know, there is nothing that anybody can say apart from, you know, obviously condolences for that. But if I can kind of go back a little bit as well, because you've mentioned lots of things, lots of traits, lots of symptoms, lots of behaviours there that a lot of people who are living with FASD will recognise, or living or caring for somebody with FASD will recognise. And one thing you mentioned earlier on was competitiveness and lack of empathy. Um, what What... I mean, what did you put that down to when when he was younger? Was there was there something that you kind of pinned on, or was it you know you were thinking, oh, is this adoption? Is this a trauma from you know being adopted? You know, I, I don't know if they were in foster care before they came to you, or if they were, you know, because um, I'm not sure how long ago it was. But did you pin it on something, or was it just you thought that was <laughs> that was his nature? That's the way he was. No. Uh... It was unnatural. He was unnaturally competitive. Like if it was run the race with the kids, he would cry if he didn't win. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would, you know, just it was. It was just. It was. It was on that. It was unnaturally. Now, listen. If I'm playing a game of Monopoly, I have to win it myself. So I would be competitive. Yeah. Even, even doing things like that, you know, nearly cheat to win a game of Monopoly from playing with my brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was. It was different. It was. I knew it was different. I knew yeah. it was different. Uh, Did you feel it was unhealthy? But, uh, yeah, because we used to sit down and we, we'd often have, ha- have had to sit down and chat with them mm. and say, Paul, you can't win everything. Like, you can't, you know, 
you just you just can't be a part of you just cannot win everything that you take part in. Like it's mm. it's about playing, it's about being involved, it's about all the different things. It's just not always about winning. Like but I, I just put it that a lot of it down to that maybe if he won the race it, even at that young age it maybe something that he was lacking, like as I say, I spoke about self esteem. It just mm. made him maybe feel that little bit perkier or it maybe yeah. give him a lift kind of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and um, in primary school as well, because it sounds to me like the experience primary school <laughs> sounds like you had some work to do. But was there a lot of support in place in the school, or was it just a really good school that you went to? No, it was just an average rural Irish school, primary school, yeah, and a national school as is known in Ireland. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, there was a. Uh, he was just treated as a normal child and. Mm. He was he was no way disruptive in class then or anything like that. But, you know, we always had a good relationship with the teachers. My wife actually worked in the school, so right. I suppose she was a secretary in the school, so she she knew what the kids were and their standing in the school. And yeah. we just always, always have done a bit extra with the kids because we felt that we needed to we need we knew we needed to, to keep them at uh, and I suppose, you know, I spoke to you earlier about nature and nurture. Mm. Uh, listen, we knew very little about their the, the, the children's background, other than they came from a they came from an alcohol related background mm. of both parents being chronic alcoholics, right, and uh, abuse and. You know, they, they grew up in an environment that wouldn't have been, let's say, wouldn't have been the nicest. And they went into foster care. So we we I, we put a lot of it down to their early, their early upbringing. Like, and, yeah. but you know, when you're a young couple, like we were only we were only young when we adopted the children, mm-hmm. and uh, we always had it in our heads like this: you can, you can, oh, should the they come on us at one and a half and two and a half and they'll grow out of that. But as you grow older and maybe we've done a bit, both of us done a bit of, a bit of work in childcare mm-hmm. and uh, you realise quickly that those, how important those early years are with attachment and different things like that. And, yeah. and of course they've had, they've had experiences of trauma before they get to you. So therefore that's, that's, that's within them, isn't it? And I think that's quite a common thing um in terms of adoption isn't it or it used to be i don't know if it's well maybe it is much now i don't know but you know i remember thinking those same things oh well when they come to us you know we'll we'll help them and we'll do this and we'll we'll repair everything that's happened and blah 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 but it doesn't it, you, you like you say you very quickly realize that's not something that you can do it's just impossible no you can listen you can only try and give the kid children the tools you learn quickly that you to try and help them. You basically give them a foothold up the ladder of life, basically, and you need to you need to try and give them the tools to cope with to cope with life. Mm-hmm. And as as we go, like I suppose well, that's one of the reasons we get involved in fostering as well, like because most kids that come into fostering and and possibly ad- adoption in the way our children come into adoption is they have all come from traumatic. Mm. 
past like there's so much trauma in their lives and it's only as as you get older you realize you do realize how much how much an impact early life trauma has on children like yeah yeah you know you see children now in foster and they're going to this flight freeze mode and and you're standing watching a child freeze in front of you and unless you have an understanding of it you're you're looking at it going, what is that all about like yeah yeah. You know, so yeah. So, so thinking about support then, because I'm very conscious that um, the support came to you through Kieran O'Malley as a result of you know um, a discussion with a drugs and alcohol counselor. Mm-hmm. But how how difficult was it to to access that support? I'm saying support like it was the the solution. It obviously wasn't a solution, but it was certainly a, an entry point for you. Um, in terms of access to Kieran O'Malley, how, I mean, how how easy or hard or costly or you know how? Yeah, because we're living in Ireland where nothing seems to be available in terms of you know certain conditions. Certain conditions still aren't recognised. FASD being one of them. Well, I spoke to my GP about it originally, mm-hmm. and uh, he had heard of it but knew nothing. Knew relatively nothing about it. Yeah. Now, when I went to Kiernamali, there was nothing on the, I suppose, I was going to say National Health, <laughs> or the, that's another Scottish word, isn't it? <laughs> on the National Health, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was nothing on the, the so I suppose Kiernamali's name was given to me. Now, we were just in a fortunate position where, I suppose, uh, maybe say a luxury position. Because it was so important that we could afford to to go to Kiernamali. Now Kiernamali was seen privately. He was a he was a private practitioner, yeah, very successful private practitioner, very good. From my understanding of it, he was very good. I don't know, but uh, it was like we were traveling from Donegal to Dublin and from Donegal to Belfast. What mm. one, one week? Maybe a fort, fortnightly trip. Um, you had to, I mean, obviously, Kiernamali had to be paid, and even back in them years, it was it might have been 100 sterling or 120 sterling or something mm. to see him. But then you just trip up and down to Dublin, and you're, or you trip up and down to Belfast, and you're day away. And so you'd rattle on your, I mean, your diesel or petrol, and so you'd rattle up 500 quid very quickly on a, on a day. Yeah. So from that point of view, I would say it was out of a lot of people's reach, which was, which isn't fair either. Like because mm-hmm. it should be available to everyone, mm-hmm. or something should be available to everyone that, and it shouldn't just be because you were lucky enough to be able to afford it. Yeah. So that would be one of the big gripes I would have always had with it that it was out of reach for a lot of people. And I mean, how many? Kieran Mali was the only one I knew of. Yeah. And. I don't know if there's many more Kieran O'Malley's, but I never looked into it because we were always happy with the treatment that that Kieran was. I call him Kieran, I really should have seen Dr. O'Malley was, <laughs> was given, like. And, uh, you know. I mean, it's safe to say, you, I was going to say, it's safe to say that, you know, Dr. Kieran O'Malley's name in Ireland is well known within kind of the FASD circles and sadly yeah, he has it, now retired. And Yeah. You know, I think that he specialised quite well in it, um, and it, it's quite strange that 
there has been no real replacement for him. There's people who maybe dabble, but there's no specialist in Ireland who can, do, you know, who can really deal with FASD. Um, and you know the fact. So, which leads me on to my question, really, about you know the the support that he gave you. I mean, you know, one person supporting all these people in Ireland. You know, the statistics are quite high for Ireland. There is no way one person could support all of those people. I mean, do you well, know how? I mean, how 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 much support did he did he give you? Was it just on the day, or was there follow ups? Or you know, I mean. Uh, well, I suppose the fact that we were we were going once a fortnight, mm. and he, he was giving Paul tasks. He was giving Paul tasks to do. He also he also had Paul on a medication mm. that was to I would say nearly to level him out because right. Paul was nearly like hypertensive all the time, and this was just kind of a balancing thing. But you know, even with the FASD. Paul would go on, would take his medication for a couple of weeks. Mm. Then all of a sudden, Paul would diagnose himself. Yeah, okay. And say, I don't need to take that. Yeah. And you could see the physical change in him. Mm. You could see the hypertension starting to rise again and stuff like, things like that. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, in terms of, I can only really gauge, as I say, it was totally new to us, yeah. the FASD. So I wasn't even anyway aware of of how big it was it was only when i started i started doing a lot like reading myself on it mm. and and i realized like i mean i remember seeing kids on the street with you know with terrible word to use but pygmy like features it's it's what it is how it's described mm. and but i didn't know what that was yeah i hadn't, I hadn't a clue what it was and I'm, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that most people wouldn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it just, and that was only one of them. Like that was, that was only, that was one feature that stood out. Yeah. It was the pygmy like features. Now, as I say, Paul was a big handsome lad and his sister's an absolute stunner. Yeah. Uh, so that, it, that certainly didn't affect them. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the, but, the, the facial features are these days anyway. Um, the number of children with FASD with facial features is quite low. Um, so if you're seeing people when you walk out in the street, I mean that's you know, it's not not necessarily saying that they've got it, but certainly if they've you know they seem to have the features. Um, and there was a time where people where um, pediatricians were diagnosing on features and nothing else. Well, see when you say that now, Scott. Like when I say, like I came from, I came from. I was born in Scotland, Glasgow, in a very working class environment, mm -hmm. and uh, I would say there was a lot. Of alcohol. There wouldn't be much drugs that about at the time, but uh, and I suppose I'm going back to you're right when I say I don't see. I see an odd pygmy-like feature now, yeah. but going back to it to my childhood, like I seen a lot more of it then. Mm. But you're right when you say that it it is it certainly isn't as much. But it's now when I see someone with those features, I suppose it it nearly sets an alarm off in my head when I, you know, yeah, I often see them. I think, oh God, I wonder does that poor person I mean? Is that what's wrong with them, or is it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, we're not 
the people to question it, are we? Because <laughs> no, we, we can hardly go up to random people in the street and ask. Them. Yeah. Um. So and um. So the 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 toll. I mean, the time on all three of you, really. You know, going up and down to Belfast or Dublin to see Doctor O'Malley, the cost. I mean, add on to that then the experiences that you had as parents. You know, having to try and help him manage his symptoms and when you know symptoms is a nicer word than behavior um but you know at school all the issues that you had at school was he ever like um excluded from school or um, i would think i would think he would have one or two suspensions (laughs) never expelled but one or two but then And I think that was due to the fact that we had such a relationship. We had such a good relationship. We knew we were very proactive yes. as, as parents. So yeah. I suppose that the school knew that what Paul was doing would have been alien to... Mm. Yeah. Would have been... Yeah. And But given all that then, I mean, how did... What impact did that have you on you and your wife? I mean, you know, as parents, I don't know about you, but they reach a certain age. And you don't stop being their parent. You know, they get to the age of 18 or 21. You don't stop being their parent just because they've reached an 18 or a 21, you know, um, ages. How, what, what kind of impact has it had on you guys having to cope and deal and manage? And listen, those, that period of time from, listen, the school thing we cope with, because mm. we just, it was just part of life. We cope with it. But, mm-hmm when to get involved in what Paul got involved in and you know to see the family name in the paper and mm-hmm. you know in the media yeah uh, it was just it was like an intrusion to have guards come into your house and you know search your house and the guards apologizing to you coming in because you know them through different things you're involved in mm-hmm. and uh, them apologizing to you they've a they've warrant to search the whole house, but they say to you, we'll only do we're only interested in in Paul's room, like. Yeah. And I suppose in that in that in fairness, them only only touching Paul's room when they had a warrant to do the mm. the whole house. It was it was intrusive. It was it was a really, really difficult time mm. in our in our relationship. Mm-hmm. Because uh, you know it was probably mum being me being a bit stricter than mum say and right. uh, us sort of saying listen a mother being a mother and a father being I grew up the way I grew up with and uh, I would probably have been I would probably have been sore on Paul in, in terms of you know shake myself up a bit and yeah. I'm not putting up with this stuff and yeah. you know, there's a lot of that in it. And it, it affected it affected us hugely from yeah. the that that period of of he left school probably at sixteen t- till till the day. Like we used to sit home at night when he when he first moved out and you'd be lying in your bed on a Saturday night and you'd be getting a phone call from from the cops and that your son's been lifted and he's down in 
such and such a police station and mm. someone has to come and bail him out. And part of you wants to say, me saying, no, well, bloody let him sit there, like. And Maury saying, I'm not doing that. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, that part of it. And one of the things we actually said that we didn't, like, we, we just, you lay awake an awful lot of nights worrying about them. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's one of the things we said we didn't miss. You know, t- it's, it sounds, we feel guilty about saying it, yeah. but we didn't miss it after yeah. Paul, after Paul's passing, like, yeah. that there was no more lying awake at night with, on a phone call, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, that part of it had gone. Now you're lying. You're lying. I suppose. Listen, eventually, you you have to move on to a certain degree. You don't forget, like you. But you're not lying, worrying. Mm-hmm. That phone's going to ring. Like the phone could ring at three, four in the morning. Like that mad stuff. Like that went on for. That went on for a, a lot. It went on for a long, long time. Yeah. So that's some of the laws. What What were some of the positive things that you got out of being Paul's dad? Ah, you know. Or parents, <laughs> not not necessarily just dad, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> when you had no children and two children came along, you were blessed to have them. Uh, we done all the things that we done all the holidays together. We done, we done Orlando, Florida. We done all the parks in the UK. We done holidays abroad we done we done all the things that 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 families families do uh, we were we were proud of the kids uh, you know we were we, we were just a normal family up till yeah. up till that mm-hmm. that age like yeah um, so you've gone on to be a foster care. We won't go into that because obviously that's um, that's a mm-hmm. separate, not a separate part of your life, but they deserve their privacy. Um, yeah. And you're probably more aware than some foster cares about FASD. Um, and I know that you know you've you've not got any, you've not got a placement with F- uh, children with FASD and stuff like that. But in terms of the future, and I'm just thinking, if it ever happened that you did have a child placed with you with FASD, what sorts of things do you would you like to see having changed since you know your experience of access and services with Paul and stuff like that in Ireland for someone with FASD? Well I suppose firstly that if if there's an awareness out there like when when we adopted we were never really told much about the children's children's background you know so that would have been that would be something uh, I think I think people need to have as much information as is available to to someone taking taking children on, because to think you're people need to understand that if you take two babies on, that if there is anything, well, I think it's they need as much just info as as possible to be given mm-hmm. to to maybe give people because not everyone I don't think everyone could could have the skills to cope with it mm-hmm. you know 
And people need to be maybe given that choice. That is it something you're prepared to do? You know, I suppose it's like trauma, such trauma on children is a huge thing, like, and it's something that even with the FASD, you know, I think children that have been exposed to early childhood trauma, mm. which I'm sure a lot of adopted children have and foster kids. So that's that's something I just think they need as much info as can be given to them to mm-hmm. to make a, to make a choice. Yeah. Well, Frank, I I've loved listening to your story. Um, it's not been all butterflies and roses for you, which I get, and certainly hasn't been for Paul either. Um, I think that you are clearly an advocate for children who need help. And, you know, personally, I thank you for that because I think that it couldn't have easy, couldn't have been easy going back into um, fostering after, you know, <laughs> after parenting. <laughs> and I did it once and I ended up adopting <laughs> the child that we fostered. So I said, right, okay, we're not doing that anymore because we'd end up needing a, you know, a, a much larger home. Um, so, yeah. Um, so thank you for that. Um, I guess it's now... Now that we're at the end of this, is, is there anything else that you want to share that you haven't been able to to get round to, or any asks you've got? You know, we I'm this podcast is going to be sent to people who can you know who can make decisions and who need to know about this thing. Is there any asks that you've got that you would you know say to them? Listen, this is this is what you need to do, and I'm talking okay. about ministers if, or TDs and stuff like that. If it goes to people, the people in power, they need to they need to make they need to make funding available that there are there are experts that to the elk of of Keonomali mm-hmm. that people can can get to because as, mm-hmm. as I say finance dictated dictates an awful lot of it like and an awful lot of people come and um, an awful lot of these children coming into care and that wouldn't the, the finances aren't available mm. mm-hmm. for it. And uh, but as I suppose that would be the 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 public gets a greater understanding. Like I would say eight people out of ten wouldn't know what FASD was. Yeah. If you were to do a now you probably have figures on this, but but I would say if you asked a hundred people, yeah. Enough, enough, huge percentage of that wouldn't know what FASD was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. So, uh, just one other story we chat about. My wife always chats about it. Yeah. When you ch- when you chat about a kid with FASD, I'll give you uh, just one example. You know of uh, this is kind of things Paul would do, and I, I'm not saying Paul. I, I think it's kids in general. A lot of kids in general with FASD, they have they have this tendency to, you know. You and I know something's wrong, so you don't do it. A kid with FASD will go out and they'll do it and they'll worry about the consequences after it's done. Mm-hmm. But so if people understand that these kids do things and they probably don't realise. Like I remember one time, Paul, a 50 quid lying on the floor, 50 euro note lying on the floor, and Paul picked it up. It was in the shop, sent it one day. 
And I seen him putting it in his pocket. And he wasn't a kid. Eh? He was, and I said, what are you doing? He says, I'm just 50 quid there. And Paul put that in his pocket. And Paul's initial, whereas me and you would have handed that. Well, I, I don't know if you just got my set. <laughs> yes, I would have done. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Paul's attitude was well, stick it in the pocket. And, mm. You know, and that's the difference. And it's, it's down to that empathy thing. They don't maybe think that maybe someone needed, maybe needed that more than what he needed it. And, you know, it's it's about the right and the wrongs. And I, I suppose if people could maybe understand that a little bit, I think that's a huge thing. Mm-hmm. They put themselves in situations, children with FASD, in my understanding, that normally someone without FASD wouldn't put themselves in. And it's, it's I always put it to that part of the brain where the, the, it was stunted in growth. Mm-hmm through this condition like yeah that left something lacking in terms of empathy and different things like that mm. and consequences and all that and consequences and all that sort of stuff yeah. yes yeah 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 frank thank you so much i really appreciate your time and i know that you've even made an extra effort because you've actually gone to your community center to record this so thank you so much for, for even thinking ahead and doing this properly with me it's massively That's appreciated not to bother, Scott. And thank you for having me on. Hopefully someone will get something from it. Yeah. I would say so. Thank you, Frank. Mm-hmm.